0: Hey everybody and welcome to the Canna Cultivation and Culture Podcast. I'm Marina from over at Rena Grows and I'm your host. So welcome to the first episode. This is pretty awesome. I'm really excited to have this up and going. It's been my little brainchild for quite some time now. So kind of putting myself out there and seeing if it's something that people dig. I really hope so. I really love talking cannabis, uh, Love talking cannabis culture, cannabis cultivation, anything to do with it really. <laughs> so essentially I just my hopes for this show are we could have a good little section where we talk about our culture, we talk about things going on in the cannabis world, uh, be it legalization wise, be it science-wise, be it just culture-wise, cool things that are happening, um, events, things that I think people like to hear about because I am always looking to hear about. Then I wanted to do a cool section about women in weed history. I have this favorite podcast I listen to, Great Moments in Weed History. Shout out to Abdullah and Bean, my icons of weed podcasting. I don't have quite the punnery, but um, and I I love what they do. I love that they highlight people that maybe we don't know of as as openly in our cannabis history and so I would like to do a little section here yeah, that's somewhat similar but we're gonna be highlighting some women in cannabis women who have made a difference in cultivation and science and education and medicinal cannabis I, I want to talk about it also that'll be something exciting to look forward to and and research as well and then of course my heart and soul I want to talk about cultivating cannabis um cultivating on a home grow level cultivating on a commercial level I want to talk about all of it (laughs) so I really hope this is something that a lot of people find interesting um and even you know from beginners to those who are more more familiar with growing, I hope that you can find something valuable here. I hope we can start a conversation, gain a nice little community, and really start helping each other through this process uh growing growing cannabis is almost as medicinal as actually using cannabis, I swear to God, so I'd really like to see more people embracing the homegrown lifestyle. <laughs> so let's jump right in. All right. So my first story, of course, uh, our biggest story in the news right now, Congress has just voted to legalize cannabis with the MORE Act. Very exciting. The MORE Act passed through the House of Representatives And would end federal prohibition. Very exciting. This does not mean cannabis is legal. Unfortunately, I wish it was that easy. But this is a big step. This is only the second time that it has been passed by the House of Representatives and sent through even to the Senate. So we're making strides. We're making strides. And this will go through to the Senate... I don't know exactly when. Um you know how <laughs> you know how the government works. They move when they want to make moves, but they will have to pass it through and then the president has to sign off on it. So one victory, a couple more we still need to grasp, but I don't think that it is unfair to say a little bit of celebration is necessary. If you're not super familiar with the More Act, the More Act if passed into law would remove cannabis from the federal controlled substances list and it would also expunge retroactively the records of individuals who have past cannabis offenses and it would allocate revenue for small businesses and equity licenses all of that is so incredibly important especially in the industry that i think a lot of us would really like to see come up from this you know most of us don't want to see a crazy corporate cannabis industry we don't we don't want this to be a couple monopolies and then everybody else just grasping to grasping at straws to get through Most of us want to see the legacy growers and the people who have been marginalized by the war on drugs and just unfairly treated because they grew this plant before the government said, hey, you can grow this plant, (laughs) you know, before they told us you could legally do it. The people who were really, really doing it for us back then who brought this plant into our life, that made us love it as much as we love it so that we would fight so hard for its freedom. Um I would re- those are the people that most of us want to see coming up in this game and really moving the industry. And I I hope that that will help. Um it's going to be inter- it's going to be interesting, I feel like federal legalization I feel is going to be a double-edged sword, but it needs to happen. Um we need we need some of these things. We need it to go into effect. We need it to be descheduled. We need it to be decriminalized and we need people to stop being locked up for cannabis. And if this is how we do it, this is how we do it. And that was our biggest news story. That's what everybody's talking about right now. Hopefully we'll have some better news. Um, saying that it passed through the Senate soon enough. Another cool topic that I had come into lately, um, this was a study that I, w- I had never heard about, so I know a lot of people are affected, whether it's individually, or in your family, or friends group, um, diabetes. It was shown that heavy cannabis use by female adults is associated with lower instances of diabetes, which is very interesting. Um, this is a study from Texas A&M and they published a cannabis and cannabinoid research study that found women who heavily use cannabis had lower instances of diabetes heavily. They defined as four or more times a month. So if you're using daily like myself, you are covered. it seems <laughs> you are helping yourself Um diabetes as a condition it prevents the body from either making enough insulin or being able to use the insulin in an effective manner that it is creating it affects one in ten americans and in 2019 it was the seventh cause of death amongst americans so it's scary stuff it really is and here's our favorite plant coming in and saying here let me uh let me help a little bit doctors there was a this was 15,000 um participants in this study. So not a tiny study. And then doctors participating in this study said that they determined the diagnoses by using plasma, glucose, fasting blood glucose, and hemoglobin ALC levels. It was shown that females who use cannabis more than four times a month were found less likely to be diagnosed with diabetes, but there was not proven to be any association with males in the same study. I found this incredibly interesting. This is something I did not know. Our endocannabinoid systems, which are um, our endocannabinoid system is a series of neurotransmitters and receptors in our nervous system that works with cannabinoids. And that's why we find so much relief from cannabis. Um, Our endocannabinoid systems have different effects based on sex, based on our gender that is something I did not know so makes sense that women are finding um, that this helps them and men it is not showing to have as much as of an effect but this is really cool um, especially as a woman who is from a family that does have a history of diabetes to know that I'm doing something for my body that's maybe helping me Avoid that as I age or as I get a little older. I'm not gonna say age. That made me sound old as hell. <laughs> um, they say it works. Um, the two key components in cannabis, cannab in cannabis. Oh my god, <laughs> in cannabis, cannabidol and delta nine tetrahydrocannabinol, or our THC. They stimulate the sensors in the endocannabinoid system that result in improved glucose disposal. So that's exciting. Let's see. Got one more little story. Oh, okay. Let's hop in to our first little um, woman in weed history, huh? This is cool. I found a little something. I just thought this was an interesting story. Um. This is an oldie. This is from over twenty five hundred years ago. <laughs> this is Princess Yukok, and a mid twenties woman found in the Altai Ma- in the Altai Mountains of Siberia. This they named her Princess Yukok. She was a twenty five thousand year old corpse preserved in ice and she was found in 1993 on the Yukon Plateau. So there was nothing obviously about her history, nothing about who she was. So they have they affectionately named her a princess, but it is believed actually that she was a shaman or a healer. Um <laughs> which is, you know, cool. That's our kind of people here. Um they came, the researchers came to this conclusion based on how unique her tomb was and how upscale it was but it was decorated differently than the royals that were buried just a couple um, plots over and she was just kind of like isolated to herself so it is believed that She was a healer, and maybe she worked for the royals. Um, You know, it seemed that she had some kind of wealth. She had a beautiful tomb, um, very beautifully decorated. And in her tomb, guess what they found? (laughs) So... let's start with this anyways the analysis of her preserved corpse showed that she suffered from breast cancer from early in her 20s so in her tomb they found a small container that was confirmed to be cannabis leaves flowers and seeds there were also several similar jars found near the tomb as well Researchers have said there is significant evidence that point to the use of medicinal cannabis amongst the people of the Altai Mountains. And Princess Yukok has become kind of um a you know mythological medicinal cannabis uh guide, a a spirit amongst us. Um I think that's really cool to have a little bit of history that was preserved that well in ice for 2,500 years. And it's a woman who even back then was treating her cancer and helping heal herself with cannabis. Unfortunately, she passed, but um what a, what a little cool little look into the past that must've been. Um On my Instagram, I'm going to share a picture. It's a, It's an artist-rendered drawing of what they think she might have looked like, and she's pretty badass, so I will definitely be sharing that. And Princess Ucock, this one's for you. (laughs) All right, let's jump into the cultivation segment of our show here today. Today, I wanted to talk about IPM, or Integrated Pest Management. I know a lot of us are kind of getting ready for spring season and you know the buggies are emerging you know bugs and <laughs> bugs never go away really they're always around especially in indoor grows where the conditions are just so perfect for them all year round but um i do find that this time of year it gets worse and you know those of us who grow outside or and and also indoors or commercially and you know you, you don't want to get into the habit of doing silly things that are going to just totally compromise your grow um it happens so quickly and sometimes it's just impossible to stop so here we go let's uh jump in (laughs) so IPM IPM is integrated pest management and it is literally one of the most important aspects of growing um you gotta have a good pest prevention program dealing with a pest infestation is just a nightmare it's a nightmare and and just when you think you got them all you know you come back the next day and boom you don't you really really don't so if you can avoid it you want to (laughs) um to prevent the problem from occurring in the first place you know you just want to come up with a system you want to come up with a program that's really gonna it's like anything in life if you plan for it you know what I mean we want to prevent things from happening instead of having to go back and then um, fix fix what we weren't prepared for so one of the easiest things that you can do is just make sure you work in a clean and sterile cultivation area there is no substitute for a sterile work environment a sterile grow environment you can do everything in the world you can use every preventative pest in the world you can use every pesticide whatever you use you can do whatever you want if you have a dirty environment or you have plant matter or green waste just sitting everywhere you are just leaving yourself open to pathogens to pests to anything so i really think that is just it's just one of the most important things you can do um no green waste. You don't want to leave your old grow medium sitting around old, old pots with soil or cocoa in them. You don't want to do that. Um, and then excess water. That's something, um, I know a lot of us, especially at home, I use little risers and I put a little, a little, di- a little, uh, saucer underneath it and I collect the water, from my runoff in it where I test my runoff or you know just to not let it get all over my tent I know a lot of us do that and sometimes I know that I'm doing a million things and I just leave it there and it's like that's just standing water sitting in there if I'm not emptying it out it's adding humidity to the environment it's it's just asking for fungus gnats to you know rear their little ugly heads and it's it's just altering your entire environment so you know quick a quick dump out of that water it's worth it um another big one and it's something oh god is it something that I struggle with and I do need to be better at it and I do actively try at work I'm forced to do it so I'm definitely better at it there but in my own grow at home Some days I'm just clueless, but it's so important. Changing your clothes before you enter your grow if you can. Just a quick just scrub out, put on something different, especially if you've been working outside, especially if you've been working in a garden. I mean, spider mites, you're never going to see them clinging onto your shirt, you know what I mean? But they could be doing it. I know it's easier said than done. I will say it is my Achilles heel. I need to get better at it. Um, But there is a reason why when you work in a commercial facility, you have to scrub out. I have to scrub out of my outdoor clothes. I have to take my outdoor shoes off, leave them outside of the door. You know what I mean? We throw on scrubs. We wear a. We have that as a uniform, and those are never touching the outdoors. Those are never being being exposed to that environment and um we don't see a lot of pests there, so (laughs) definitely has something to do with it. Um that goes for shoes as well. I am good at this and I would say just like make sure rule of thumb, don't wear your sneakers, don't wear your sandals into your grow after walking out around outside. (laughs) Unless you have strictly house shoes. And I still wouldn't wear those in, just you know, pop them off before you go in your 10 if you step in. I have a really big, I have a 10 by 10, and I will step into that one. But, <laughs> you know, just every little thing we can do. Um, I don't, so I did add this in because I know that some people do still use chemical pesticides, uh I don't um chemical pesticides on consumable plants. it can be a problem. There's a lot of like organic um like I have used monterey's before um and i do i that was great. I fed it in with my water um instead of doing like a foliar and that was fine um I just I'm the type who would like to use the more organic, the better, I guess. Um, I use a lot of natural pest prevention, such as predator insects. I think that is probably the greatest way that nature gave us, um, to take care of pests it's it's literally what happens in nature and it isn't um compromising our health (laughs) so predators are huge um biosecurity and containment measures within the grow so you know just making sure that Things are well put away, taken care of, all your like bio waste and shit like that. There's nothing sitting around. Um, Limiting who can go into sterile grow areas. I know that it's exciting and you want to be like telling everybody and their mother to come check out your plants. Um, That's why they made the viewing windows. Viewing windows are awesome. (laughs) You pull them down. Everybody could take a little look around. Bada bing, bada boom. You don't want a lot of shit ton of people in your grow it's hard to trace back where things come from when you just have people in and out all day. It's hard to pinpoint if you did end up with a problem where that problem originated. Um, at work, we try not to let people who are not on our team. We tend we try not to let them walk through the rooms just because it's really just putting a it's really just putting your plants at risk for no reason, you know. <laughs> um, Good air filtration huge, 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 obviously the pathogens and and things that can travel in the air and especially in the contained spaces, like crows are pretty contained, they're pretty airtight, so good air filtration is just going to keep your environment. In a much better condition. Um, gloves, ISO, ISO, um, we use seventy percent at work. Uh, we find that works better than, actually than 90%. Um just ISO down your tools when you're done working with them, everything. Um, uh, especially with pathogens, uh, like um diseases like hopslate and viroid that's passing through the industry right now. And it's they're like it's so important to sterilize your tools you know do not take your trimmers from taking cuts off of one plant to immediately the next one without wiping them down change your gloves out you know let's not pass let's not pass pathogens from plant to plant throughout our room if we take these small steps we can stop it from we can stop it from uh happening yeah. So this one 's huge. I know a lot of people taking clones um, i t- i taking clones here and there. I love you know getting different genetics i do I do try to only bring them in from um, people that I trust, people that I know that I know that their grows are clean, that I know they have a good i p m plan, but sometimes obviously it's it's hard and especially in this world, if you can I remember my first plants I got it was like that was the first place I ever knew that I could get clones you know I found somebody who was selling them and it was like oh shit I don't care what their garden looks like like I just want that I want to be growing weed right now and so I brought them in and I didn't quarantine them luckily I had no other plants in the garden at the time but they both had uh, spider mites on them <laughs> I ended up um isolating a cut from one of them and that cut rerooted, and that turned into my very first um, sour diesel plant and that was my first grow but those two mom plants just came down with spider mites almost immediately and it was uh it was really really disheartening as a beginner grower um and I'd hate to see I hate to see that happen to people because it's such a It happens so quickly, and it can be avoided if we just have a simple plan in place. I know I keep saying that, but it's so important. Um, Yeah, clones can bring in pests. They can bring in powdery mildew, tons of pathogens. Just quarantine them. Put them in a separate room, put them in a separate area, a separate tank completely. Start with their IPM in there. Give it time so that you can give whatever the problem may be time to prevent it to to present itself before you put it in with your other plants. Um and then this one here, there is really just nothing else to be said for healthy, well cared for plants from germination to post-harvest is how you're, you know, one of the most pertinent parts of avoiding the spread of fungal pathogens, um, avoiding the spread of pests, things that attack unhealthy plants. Pests go for unhealthy plants. Um, you'll find mold on unhealthy plants. So take care of your plants, Spoil your mom's abs <laughs> and treat them like queens and, and you know, we'll, we'll be out here with healthy grows. This helps to avoid the spread of fungal pathogens, like I said, especially when you're savaging clones. Um, you got to think, you know, you're taking cuts off of your mom plant. If this mom plant is healthy, you're taking cuts and you're putting it in this domed, environment and you're creating just as much humidity as you can and it's going to sprout roots for you and it's going to become your next plant. Um, If you're putting in a cut from an unhealthy plant into this domed and humid environment, you're just introducing an ideal environment for those pathogens to grow and to become accustomed and to spread so it's important from ground from the ground floor up to just have healthy plants take care of your plants check them daily you have to walk through the garden daily you have to check all your plants daily Two days, three days, four days, and a problem is out of control. If you can catch it before it's a problem, before it's spread, you know, or hopefully if you're spending enough time in there and doing enough work so it's not happening. But it's important. We have to keep a daily eye on our plants. All right. Now we jump into predators. This is one of my favorite parts of IPM. I love predators I love predator insects I think it is so amazing how nature works and it's like oh you have a pesky bug let me give you another bug that's gonna eat that bug and then you know they're not gonna bother your plant it's insane um it's something that I continue to just want to study and learn more about uh it's something that I continue to implement into my own garden into my You know, the commercial grow that I work at is something that we do there. And it's something that I just want to bring more awareness to people for because you don't have to use pesticides. (laughs) All right. So, one of the peskiest, peskiest little shits out there, especially this time of year with the humidity rising, are fungus gnats anybody who's dealt with fungus gnats know that they multiply overnight (laughs) it's like one day you have one and the next day you have one million and it's really hard to completely eradicate them once they have infested your whole garden you can it's just really fucking hard (laughs) um Fungus gnats essentially happen, usually they show up when there are poor watering practices or overwatered plants, just still water at all in the grow. They love humidity. They love that. Um, so obviously watering practices, make sure you're not overwatering your plants. Make sure your are crop steering enough where you're paying attention to how much your plant consumes, you don't get to know your plants we we get to know them on a more personal level and it's easier to avoid problems like that um and then another thing we can do to kind of prevent fungus gnats is by watering in beneficial nematodes um that is one of the best predators for fungus gnats Uh, you can order those it's best to order from an insectary you don't want to you know get them from a. A place that has them sitting on the shelf like all day. They <laughs> they're living. They're living. Um, they need to be shipped on ice. They need to be refrigerated. and They need to be used in an efficient manner in an efficient time. Um, it comes with directions on the amount that you want to stir into your water, and then you just kind of like hand water it into your plants. And and what happens is they come alive in your soil. And they will eat the fungus gnat larvae and they will eradicate it from your soil, from your cocoa, so that once the mature fungus gnats die off, which is only a couple of days, there will be no more larvae in the cocoa or in the soil. So they will not continue to um, the life cycle. So that's really cool. Um, highly effective. At work we do it every two weeks. At home, I do it about every four weeks. And it helps. Um, I've never done it in my home grow in the summertime. So I'm interested to see as um, you know, idea I inevitably start to battle humidity in my indoor tents if I will have to up. Um the amount of times I do it, but I'll definitely let, keep you guys updated. That's a great way to eradicate fungus gnats. And then, of course, we have the yellow sticky papers, which I think, you know, never killed anybody to have those up in your grow. Fungus gnats are attracted to the color, color yellow, I guess, is the science behind it. So they go to the yellow paper and they get stuck. That's dope. <laughs> Um The next thing that I wanted to talk about is spider mites so spider mites are the biggest pain in the ass in like the whole world um once you get them they multiply so fucking quickly and they're so hard to even determine they're there until they're already a problem um so for fungus gnats, at work we use persimilis um you can just kind of sprinkle it onto your soil. Um if you have plants and veg, you can sprinkle it right on top of your plants. Um if you have buds just on the soil or generally around it, um you can leave a little a little container of it open. And what the persimilis are is they're little mites as well, but they're beneficial. Um and they will eat the two-spotted spider mites. Um so yeah, that's pretty awesome. We got what do we have for thrip because thrip i also know is a pain in the ass um so we have amblyasis kookameris kookameris all right that's <laughs> which it targets a, a wide range of thrips it's highly effective against the larvae and it's also effective against broad mites and cicalium mites so i'll put i'll put all of these on the instagram with a little infographic for you guys too because i'm sure i just butchered how you say that um and then another thing we use at work and i use at home is sachets, which sachets have predator mites um, Andersoni, and they feed on a ton of variation of mites and what you do is essentially you hang it and they let themselves out of the packets the sachets Um, and they feed on pollen and they feed on thripe larvae so they the packets um, can last for several weeks without them having food because they'll feed off pollen so that's pretty cool. And then, oh, okay. So another important thing that I never knew is that you should not buy ladybugs online to introduce into your garden as pest control because commercially produced ladybugs are not native to the U.S. and can cause a threat to our natural ecosystem that's crazy. I remember when I first started reading about Preds and I first started learning about Preds, everybody was talking ladybugs, 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 ladybugs in the garden. They'll eat your pests. And you are not supposed to bring them in. You know, you're not supposed to bring in those ones that you find on Amazon um the commercial lady beetles are usually wild caught harvested during hibernation and may not even be ready to feed when you introduce them and non-native ladybugs are super predatory and will literally eat all of the native ladybugs resources they can also introduce parasites and disease into local population You should try to attract native ladies with flower crops like sunflowers, magnolias, coneflowers, calendulas, cosmos. Which brings us into what our next little section of IPM, which is companion plants. Companion plants are really cool. They're the plants you can plant in your garden that will either defend against a predator or they will distract the predator with what they have to offer and the predator will not go for your cannabis plant. So it's really cool. Um, you can use indoors, outdoors, you know, that you can do a living soil environment with crop cover indoors. People are doing it all the time with giant beds. I think it's really cool. Um, but you can also, you know, bring it outdoors too in our big gardens and just kind of make yourself an ecosystem, add your flower garden in with your cannabis garden. Why not? (laughs) Um, so to go over that real quick, for companion plants, I'll go over this little list with you. Um, we got chamomile to defend against white flies. Dill will drive away caterpillars and repel mites and aphids. Basil will drive away white flies and beetles. Basil actually also can boost the production of terpenes in cannabis grown as a companion plant. So that's pretty cool. We're always looking for ways to boost terps. So fun fact, a little basil in the garden. Um, alfalfa will repel le- will repel bugs. It's also helpful with adjusting nitrogen levels in soil, which is huge. That is awesome, um, especially in the vegetative vegetative uh, cycles when you're just soaking up so much nitrogen. The plants need so much nitrogen to grow. So alfalfa, lemon balm will help repel gnats as well as disguise the smell of cannabis in an area you wish to do so. So a shout out to my friends in illegal states who want to grow outside, throw a little lemon balm in there. We got sunflowers to lure insects away from the cannabis plant with their dominant presence. They're beautiful, they're giant, and so many bugs love them. Um, So if they're focused on your sunflowers, they're not as obsessed with your cannabis. That's pretty cool. The roots of sunflowers will also help with soil filtration, which is really cool, especially if you live in a more denser, more clay-type soil atmosphere having something like a sunflower with such dense roots to filter your soil is huge. Um lavender repel- repels fleas, ticks and mice. Yarrow attracts insects like ladybugs and hoverflies and it also helps release essential oils in the plant within its area. That is something I did not know. I didn't know much about yarrow at all, so that's exciting and coriander the scent keeps away aphids spider mites and potato beetles and also attracts predator mites like hoverflies and parasitic wasps so parasitoid parasitoid wasp <laughs> so that's cool it brings predators and also keeps away um such huge pests like aphids and spider mites so that's awesome. Companion plants can be used as an indicator of water levels and nutrients in soils by how they're reacting to the soil. They can retain soil moisture, protect cannabis plants from harsher elements such as like super winds, rains. You know, you have a big um, wall of sunflowers behind you. It's going to stop those winds from absolutely pummeling your cannabis plants Um you can till them into the soil after flowering season has passed and it will enrich the soil. Um, and, of course, I can't stop talking about companion plants without mentioning mushrooms, which are literally the most versatile companion and everybody fucking loves mushrooms. They're so complex and cool and they can play a big part in providing sugars and carbs to the plant. Fungi breathe in oxygen and exhale CO2, so the cannabis obviously cannabis needs the co2 and it takes in way more in the flowering stage to promote faster growth so mushrooms in the garden are such a good companion plant and if you don't have you don't want to grow them you can get them in bags you can get them in bottles you can get them pre-packaged there's so many ways to bring those into your garden as well so that's pretty much what i got for ipm today guys i'm i'm I think this episode was great. I had an awesome time going over these things with you. Um, I'm hoping that you found something out of it too. I'm hoping to add to this podcast also some like listener questions for the cultivator questions you have, things you want to hear about. Um, you can find me over at Rena Grows, Rena dot Grows on Instagram. Um, come over there and tell me, tell me what you'd like to hear. Tell me what I can add to the show to make it the perfect place for cultivators to come and find the information that we're looking for. I'm really glad that we got to put this together. I'm thankful for this opportunity and I can't wait to uh, go on to the next episode. Bye guys.